1: Hey, welcome to Step to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
4: One moment, please. Your call is important to us. A representative will be with you shortly.
1: Ah, uh, this again.
4: One moment, please. Your call is important to us. A representative will be with you shortly. Oh, hey.
1: Oh, thank God.
4: Hey, it's me, Julie. Julie Douglas. Sorry, I was stuck in the call void. The oh. loop.
1: Yeah, I thought we had uh, we'd taken care of that ages ago, but I mean, there's nothing more frustrating, really, when you're trying to do a podcast and your uh, your your podcast partner is just is just stuck in that call waiting limbo.
4: Well, if How Stuff Works would just shut off that portal into the call waiting void,
1: yeah, see, then
4: that wouldn't happen, right? Yeah,
1: I've been saying we need to brick that thing up for for years, but no one ever does it, so.
4: I know, and you would think that when we moved into a new space they would do that, but it's apparently not so important. And apparently then I realized that the average American spends about 43 days of their lives on hold.
1: That's over the course of a lifetime, right? Yeah. It's, it's still depressing. It's just very depressing to think of that because because the co- when you're when you're stuck waiting on a call, I mean even if you can sort of uh um do something semi-interesting or productive while you're waiting, it's still such a wasted time because you're it's not like you're gonna be able to do anything well outside of waiting on that call
4: right you're still mentally tethered to that call and i don't know do you think it makes it worse or better when call hold music is played
1: well uh, you know i guess prior to this research i would say that i tended to prefer it if only because it allows me to say, put the phone on speakerphone, set it down, and there's that, like, constant tinkling of, of uh, boring waiting music in the background. And I know that as long as I'm registering that music... I can sort of drift away from the phone. I'm not gonna. Uh, I don't have to worry about there suddenly being a person there because if there's suddenly a person on the other line, there's going to be a, a a stark fall off in that music, and then there'll be some somebody from some other country uh, saying hello, hello. Uh, I'm here to talk to you.
4: Yeah, and it's true because you do kind of feel like you're in the void in the first place on the call. So mm-hmm. if you have some sort of auditory cue that you're still there,
1: yeah, that I haven't forgotten to them, mm-hmm.
4: yeah, then it makes you feel a little bit better. But as we will discuss in this episode. The quality of the music, the pacing of that, could affect how you're actually perceiving the passing of time.
1: Yeah, and this is a uh, this, this is a fascinating topic because at first it may, might seem just normal and everyday. I mean, call music. What could be more boring? What could be? I mean, few few things are more boring than call music. But when you start looking at it, you, you get into the perception of time, uh, altered perceptions. It's uh, it's really a, a deep and fascinating topic.
4: Yeah, and at the, the bottom of all of this, the sort of base stock of this soup is memory, and we'll talk mm-hmm. more about that. But before we go into music and memory, let's just briefly talk about the types of time there are, the ways in which we try to parse it and deliver it to one another.
1: Yeah, we've talked about this in the past. We did a whole uh, episode or, or more on the nature of time and the way we perceive time. I believe that episode was called uh, Clocking Clocking In, mm-hmm. uh, and then colon and some other little bit on there. But uh but yeah, time is a is very tricky to nail down and it, you kind of have to look at it from different uh, perspectives, sort of like the the blind men uh, pawing at the elephant to try and figure out exactly what this thing is, because uh, certainly we've talked about cyclical time before mm-hmm. the idea that everything is a circle uh, in the same way that, uh, that the seasons are cyclical. The day and night is cyclical uh, that our life is rather cyclical. Every morning we get up, we do things, we eat, We defecate, we grow older, and then we go to sleep. Uh, Everything is in a a cycle. And if you look back at older uh, civilizations, older cultures, like that was the way you viewed the universe. Everything was in a cycle. Our lives were in a cycle. And any individual point in our life was only important insofar as it uh, carried out um, a role in that existing circle.
4: Yeah, I mean, in that sense, there really is no beginning or end to time, right? right? Everything is just sort of melding into one another. Now linear time on the other hand is predicated on organized cultural systems mm-hmm. like Christian doctrine for instance in the beginning right yes. there's the beginning there's there's a time in which the universe was born um and then you know that and the on. end of
1: the world is near
4: Exactly yeah. depending on I guess which version you have I don't know um but that is this attempt to try to you know take these cultural systems and make sense of time And then you have clock time, which pretty much all of us are on now.
1: Yeah, and uh, we talked about that at length in the episode because clock time is weird, too. Because uh, there was a time when when clock time was not in any way universal, and as you try the, the more we try and make clock time universal, just the more complicated it gets. Because of course we have to have different time zones. Sometimes they're an hour off. Sometimes, like in Newfoundland, Canada, they're a half hour off. And uh, and and how do you a- attempt to get everything coordinated in that when it's a different day on one part of the the Earth and a different day on the other when really everything is existing at the same time? And then if you start looking out at other planets, the you know the idea that we'll eventually be on two planets at Mm -hmm. once, then how do you start uh, uh, keeping time in a way that makes sense for that scenario?
4: Oh, yeah, because there's time dilation, which we'll get into in a moment. That's space time. But, yeah, does it matter that there are 86,400 seconds in a day? You know, does that Mm -hmm. knowledge change the way that time passes?
1: Yeah, it kind of just creates this weird ruler outside of our experience of time. So we we all every day have those have those moments, or more than moments, we have great stretches at times where our experience of time does not match up at all with with uh, with the passage of it. Like yeah. like with uh, being a new father with uh, with my with my son, I've gotten to where I I can sort of gauge how much time has passed by. By uh, like let's see. It's it's a little different now, but for a while I was thinking if I if I think fifteen minutes has passed, I need to subtract like half of that. Or if I think it's a half hour has passed, I need to subtract half of that. Um, it's it's a little different now. But but yeah, we, you get into these weird situations where where your experience of time uh-huh. and clock time uh, are 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 often way off.
4: Yeah, your experience and your documented um Columns, really. Yeah. and then, but, but we can't help but to put these tents around time and, and try to ascribe some sort of meaning or system to it. And then just to confuse things a little bit more. A little bit. (laughs) (laughs) You have space-time, which weaves the notion that space and time are not separate. This is Einstein, of course. They Mm -hmm. act on each other. You have to consider both time and space because your time and my time are different depending on how we're moving through it. So just like matter can be changed and manipulated, so can space and time. And that's where you have time dilation and the warping of time. Because the closer you can travel at the speed of light, the more time slows down.
1: Yeah, and then you get into this crazy idea that as, that as and time and space are one, and it's like time and space is one big lump of of Plato, uh, where everything that has occurred and will occur is all existing at once in this big, solid, just unimaginable mass.
4: It's true. So you get this idea that this passage of time, it's just not a concrete aspect of our existence at all. It is largely perceived by environmental cues, uh, not to mention psychological states, as dictated sometimes by their larger systems in our culture. So, then you have something like music, which brings up this idea: Could you have music time?
1: Hmm. Well, of course, time is a is a huge part of music. Keeping the, the when you get into tempo and mm-hmm. uh, the structure of any kind of musical piece, obviously, it's Mu- so mathematical. Yeah, music has a beginning and an end. And though I do wonder. Someone out there can tell me this. Has there ever been a, a piece of music specifically composed to loop on itself forever?
4: Yeah, actually, there's something called the Buddha Machine. Yeah, yeah, and that that uses a set of algorithms to create a, a loop of music over and over again, although in a in a different arrangement. So huh. every single time that it's played, I used to have one. Yeah, huh. um, it it creates a new arrangement, and it creates a. It's it's based actually on um meditative music. That monks play in China, I believe. I hope I have all this right. And um it's supposed to be soothing, but I think it's super creepy. And in fact, I <laughs> used to to play it. I put it in someone's office here at How Stuff Works, and just keep it on so that when they came in, they would hear this eerie music.
1: Ooh. But I'm surprised nobody, especially back in, like, the 90s when everybody was sort of exploring different tricks you could do with the CD format, you mm-hmm. know, hidden tracks and, and you know, having you know, 99 tracks on an album and that kind of thing, no one, to my knowledge, ever had an album where at the at the very end it kind of reached the same point as the beginning, where if you had the album on loop uh, and on repeat, it would just sort of come back around to the same place forever.
4: I think that's your thing. I think that we are about to get the Robert Lamb experience. That's going to be the name of your first album.
1: Well, some people might say that I do just loop back on myself uh, you know, continually and always come back around to the same anecdotes and the same, uh, you know. Don't we all? Yeah. I mean, time is a circle, right?
4: We're all in our little portable cages of of circular time here. All right. So let's talk about this idea of music and time dilation or even music and time shrinkage. Um, Because when you think about it, time is essentially a substrate of memory. So we estimate how much time is passing based on past experience as well as environmental cues. And underlying all of this are neural connections that will react accordingly. And these neural connections can be hacked by music.
1: Now, you know, this makes perfect sense because there's so many things that affect our perception of time, so many experiences, so many situations. I always think of going to a yoga class where the first five minutes seem to take forever because I'm antsy for it to get started yeah. and I'm kind of having second thoughts about being there. And then the last portion, the last, uh, you know, 15 minutes of yoga uh, seem to sh- seem to just be a different type of time entirely. And music is an experience. It's a sonic experience. It's a sonic journey. And uh, and that journey varies greatly depending on the on the music. And so our mind is engaging in that experience. So uh, for a variety of reasons that we're going to discuss here, uh, it's going to affect the way you perceive time.
4: Yeah, especially when you think about your brain being this pattern-seeking machine and music essentially messing with anticipation, yes. what your brain is thinking is going to come next, especially when you think about mathematics and music. And um, you, you look at these songs as just having you know, certain arrangements that your brain is going, oh, yes, I know. Even if you're not musical, you don't know the notes, you are going to anticipate what that next note is going to be because there's only so many um, chord progressions that exist out there. Mm-hmm. So we probably have heard all of them by now. And you yeah. have some sort of memory of, of what that potential chord could be.
1: Yeah, I often think about this when I'm listening to music. Because you, you, you wonder, at what point do we run out of songs, you know, mathematically? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was th- like, for instance, I've been listening to the new Tycho album. Uh, I love Tycho, wonderful musician. Some of the new songs on the new album are wonderful, but I was kind of like thinking, it kind of sounds like he's playing all the notes between the notes on a previous song, you know? mm mm-hmm. Like we're just sort of gradually filling in um, uh, like a, a, a rectangle of space, yeah until we we have uh, we have creatively filled every possibility but uh, but but in a way that ends up playing on your experience of the music because you are you're anticipating the differences, you know.
4: Well, you know, what's interesting about that is uh, you talk about the the space between the notes. Mm-hmm. That's the time, right? That's that time dilation. And if you look at classic Beatles, if you look at Miles Davis, who created modal jazz, created a, a, an entirely different way to experience jazz notes, blues chords, um, you will see that those artists are messing with time constructs in music. And that may be why they they um continue to to really intrigue us mm-hmm. and persist in music history
1: now I think everyone has had this experience uh, you you hear a new song and it's fantastic you you just love it so you just start you're listening to it over and over again mm-hmm. even though there's a there's a, there's a, this voice in the back of your head telling you don't do it don't keep if you keep listening to this song you're gonna if you're not gonna get it's not you might get sick of it but you also just might uh, completely dull your appreciation of it it will become so familiar that it will have no power on you whatsoever. It could even become dull.
4: Um There's a possibility of that. Mm-hmm. But if you really like that piece of music, if mm-hmm. it really has created this neural pathway, you might come back to it. But for music, maybe that doesn't grab your attention that much and mm-hmm. you hear it over and over again. Or if there's just sort of like these trite um constructions of music that you don't appreciate. And again, all this is so subjective. Well, well, so so I'm trying an, not to get it. What's an buried. example for you, though? Of something that's sort of trite,
1: like dull music from the beginning. Not something you lost interest in, but just something the first time you heard it, it would bored you to tears. I, I guess in a way, it's it's almost hard to note these songs because they're they're so outside of our 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 uh, appreciation that they uh, almost they're almost invisible.
4: That's hard to say because um, uh, by and large, I choose songs that I listen to that I really like. So mm. everything that I listen to every day is usually pretty much handpicked because I put together all these playlists based on moods and days and all that kind of stuff.
1: Okay. Well, how about something that's thrust upon us? Like, say, Silent Night. Is Silent Night a boring song? No, I would tend to argue it's kind of boring. Beautiful.
4: What? See, that's where it gets subjective. Uh, well, and now and this is where memory comes into play because that's a song that I used to sing in Spanish in school. Uh, And it was like this great moment that I used to get up with my class and sing it, and it felt really beautiful. Maybe just singing it in Spanish is more beautiful than in English. What about you? Lay it on.
1: Uh, A dull song? Well, I think definitely Silent Night comes to mind, and there are various hymns that I remember growing up with. I feel like, okay, John Wesley's the founder of Methodism, and he had a brother who wrote a whole bunch of church hymns. And... uh, I swear my memory is that he wrote some of the drabest, dullest hymns ever composed, like stuff that was just 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 complete uh like it's it's the the musical equivalent of like raw tofu, you know, and you just you just sat there singing and you're like, why did you why was this written what why why would you worship? a god that this music is about, you know? Ah, uh, you felt it's, like
4: it didn't actually even reflect the beauty of the human experience. Yeah, because,
1: I mean, I, I grew up with church hymns, so some church hymns, I mean, I think are, you know, have, a, have something really going for them. You know, they mm-hmm. really jive with you, and they have spirit and energy to them, and when everyone sings them together, you have this communal experience with the music. Sure. But some of that Wesley stuff just really was drab.
4: So your neurons weren't firing. You weren't syncing up there with the rest of your community and getting really into this. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so... One of the things that stands out to me in terms of that is something that could be a repetitive piece of music. And I think about uh, Paul McCartney simply having a wonderful Christmas time which I hate, sorry to say. (laughs) And I think because it's so repetitive, and cognitive scientist Daniel Levitin points out that too much confirmation when something happens exactly as it did before causes us to get bored and tune out. And he says little variations keep us alert as well as serving to draw attention to musical moments that are critical to the narrative. And remember, we talked about storytelling being such a huge part of the human experience Mm -hmm. and narrative and song being just an extension of that.
1: Okay, so it's like American Pie, for instance. There are like a million verses to American Pie, uh-huh. and if you were to, if Don McLean were to sing each verse the same, same speed, with no, uh, no, no, no modulation, no changes, yeah, it would get really boring really quickly. But and, and you could argue again subjectively that American Pie does get really boring really quickly. But Don McLean does sing each uh, each verse kind of has a, a different energy to it, and and he and stresses different parts. Of the uh, of the lyrics,
4: yeah, I mean, in a way, your brain has to be violated in order to be interested. Yeah, at least the first time, the first uh, time you kind of get hooked into a song, and Levitin says that uh, that this is seen in a song like uh, The Beatles "I Want You," she's so heavy. He says that that's sort of a typical rock song at mm-hmm. some point where you sort of think, okay, it's repetitive, it slows down, and then it gets fast again, and you think it's going to end by fading out in a classical way, but no, yeah,
1: gradual fade, right? Yeah,
4: they think mm-hmm. y- your brain is thinking that, but no, it just stops in the middle of a chord, <laughs> and your brain kind of goes, whoa, I like that. I wasn't anticipating that, and just I had an abrupt
1: been abrupt stop, stop, just whoosh.
4: yeah, huh. it does. If and I actually listened to it again this morning just to make sure that. That was my memory of it as well, and it does have a very sort of lulling, repetitive motion to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but then it just sort of jams you at the the end. and makes you sit up and take notice.
1: Huh? Now, is it the type of stop? I think I've mentioned this before. If I'm listening to music on my iPhone, and the, and the, there's that distinctive uh, abrupt kind of well, not, almost not. It's not an abrupt stop, but kind of a quick dive. Uh, when a call comes in and you're trying, you're listening to a song. Uh huh. And that always like gives me this lump of anxiety. Cause I'm like, who's calling me? What kind of, what am I being called about? Is it something bad?
4: Ooh, we'll talk about this more later, yeah. but that's because probably because your, your prefrontal cortex and all this, it, there are 11 different parts of your brain that are, mm-hmm. that are absorbing and responding to music, by the way. Uh, but that's just one of them that is probably jarred out of this sort of, again, being lulled into this certain state. And, by the way, when you listen to a song that you find particularly pleasurable or it uh, is a novel song or, and intrigues you in a different way, you're going to get a release of dopamine. And here's the crazy thing. If you like that song and the next time you're just thinking about that song or just a couple of the notes begin to play, your memory is going to resurrect that feeling of pleasure and dopamine is going to start flowing again. Huh? So, again, you can start to see where these neural pathways are starting to make uh, their self known to your brain, and memory is kind of hooking up with it.
1: And to just retouch on the whole mind-body connection thing, you kind of have to think about this when you're talking about dopamine being released and all this. Uh, Again, it's not... You're not even just listening to music with your ears. You're not even just listening to music with your brain. Your body listens to music.
2: Oh, yeah.
4: Yeah, and we know that your heart rate will sync up to the music, um, that you'll, you'll begin to respond to a full-body experience. All right, let's take a quick break, and when we get back, we're going to talk about how music can actually be gamed for the retail experience, and we all have heard music over the loudspeaker when you're at the grocery store or elsewhere. So let's find out what's going on when we get back.
0: Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
2: Hey, girlfriends. It's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. Listen to Season 2 of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: All right, we're back. We're grocery shopping. We're thinking about this study called The Effects of Music in a Retail Setting on Real and Perceived Shopping Times. And we find out that subjects... Report that when they are shopping and they're listening to music that seems familiar to them, Mm -hmm. that they think that they have been lingering longer than they actually have been. In fact, it's the music that's unfamiliar to them that causes them to linger longer.
1: That is, seems kind of complicated.
4: Well, it seems, (laughs) you know, counterintuitive, right?
1: Yeah. So, like, if I go into a store and they're playing my favorite song. Mm hmm. How does that affect my perception of my time in that store?
4: Okay, so you could say that your prefrontal cortex, again, that's trying to anticipate things. Mm -hmm. If encountering something familiar Mm -hmm. and it knows what's going on next, then time begins to dilate. It seems longer, right? Because you already know what's going on in the background. But if you have a new piece of music, then your prefrontal cortex cannot anticipate what's about to happen next. And it kind of throws a little, you know, monkey wrench into the whole thing and your brain gets distracted. Ah. And you're not keeping time in the way that you normally would. You can't anticipate
1: things. Huh. It kind of comes back to I've thrown this out before the old myth of the the vampire. Uh, In some variations of it you leave like a some sort of intricate knot. Out or some sort of like a piece of woven fabric yeah. out for the vampire and the vampire will pick this up and the vampire is so obsessed with it, untying the knot or figuring out the pattern that he or she will forget that the sun is going to come up and then will burn up uh, when, when, uh, when dawn arrives. And our minds are kind of like that. We've talked about this before. You throw us uh, an incomplete conversation. You throw us uh, any kind of riddle, something uh, where there is a pattern uh, to perceive and, and it will Capture us. And and if you're in a store and the music is uh, composing a riddle to you, your mind, even in the background, can't help but go after that riddle. Go after it. Try and understand it. Try to anticipate it and figure out its patterns.
4: Yeah, I mean, unless you're a Zen master, you're probably not paying attention to all the different auditory cues and the visual cues in front of you. So you got to let this stuff play in the background and let your unconscious deal with it. But what happens is that you are, you know, Changing your choices, changing your behavior as a result—not radically, but nonetheless—you're changing your behavior. And one example of this is music and uh, alcohol consumption. Mm-hmm.
1: Ah, you're of course talking about that nice, quiet music that they play in bars, right?
4: Yeah, the unst, unst, <laughs> unst. I don't know. <laughs> no. I don't even think they play that anymore.
1: No, it's, but 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 no, it's it's always loud. You go into a bar, and and it's been a while since I've I've uh, I've, I've gone to a bar. But it, it's always this really loud environment, and you're having to shout at the top of your lungs to talk to the person right next to you. And it's it's frustrating. Yeah. But it's, but in, and at times I'm thinking, this place is broken. Why don't they turn the music <laughs> down so we can all have a conversation here? But they know that's not going to sell drinks.
4: Yeah, they know that for every decibel above 95 decibels, they're going to get you to buy more drinks, possibly even more food. Turns out that above 95 decibels... Uh, can actually reduce your mental and physical reaction times by 20%. And once you get up around 120 decibels, you find that the sales go up. Of alcohol. Now, there are a couple of different reasons that we'll get into in a moment, but I also wanted to talk again back uh, into this whole idea about in-store music and how it affects us. There was an interesting study by the Journal of Applied Psychology in which researchers played on alternate days stereotypical French or German music in a U.K. store selling wines. And what did they find? They found that the German music days, more German wine was sold. Hmm the the french music days more french wine was sold. So again here's this music playing on your unconscious and playing on your decisions.
1: And it's kind of like if you when you go into a place that sells fancy things and they're playing classical music or some sort of cultured music and you're you're there and you're thinking I am about to purchase things that are Classy or, 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 or ritzy. Or you go into, uh, some sort of, uh, you know, hip clothing store. Obviously, they're going to play hip young music. And yeah. therefore, uh, our brain can't help make that association.
4: Well, you know, in terms of the classical thing, I mean, you just hit right on it because there's a study that looks at restaurants that play classical music. These are upscale restaurants. And they found that people are playing into that narrative. I'm <laughs> at a classy, Place with music that's <laughs> beautiful and, and, uh, and I'm my, my highest human self with tons of money. Sure, one more dessert. Why not? I mean, they found that people actually spent more money when they listened to that classical music in those restaurants.
1: Huh. So at heart, if you're somewhere where someone is trying to sell you something and there is music playing, that music is is like a dagger stabbing you right in your willpower, right in your your ability to con- control your consumption, to uh, allow common sense to enter into your purchasing decision.
4: Yeah, and it's it is interesting how people really retailers really pay attention to music and how it affects you. I don't think all of them are that successful in it.
1: No, and and, and I'm sure there are some people, especially independent retailers, who are just like, oh, we got to have some music playing. Let's just put something on and and they're maybe getting into the whole uh, willpower stabbing thing by accident. But that's the reality.
4: Exactly. Now, Nicholas Gwagin, he is a professor of behavioral sciences. He conducted a study on music and alcohol consumption. He said that there are two hypotheses for that behavior at the bar, where there is 120 decibels or more of music pounding your ears. He says that the first hypothesis is that in agreement with previous research on music, food, and drink, high sound levels may cause higher arousal. So if you think about it this way, the subjects are drinking faster and they're ordering uh, more drinks because their motor cortex uh, and their visual cortex could be overstimulated. So we've talked about this in terms mm-hmm. of syncing up our, our movements um, and how music sometimes feels like it's actually compelling us to move
1: yeah i mean you have like a really hopping bar and you're gonna have what loud upbeat music you're going to have, uh, lower light levels, but also light, sometimes kind of interesting lights. Maybe it's even like Christmas lights or just the light, uh, you know, glistening on all the bottles. You're going to have people moving around. So yeah, you're going to have this heightened state of arousal. And so that it, it makes sense that that would, that would factor into, uh, increased consumption of beverages and or cheesy fries.
4: Yeah. Cause everything feels like faster, right? Yeah. Like I got to get those cheesy fries down my throat now because the music is telling <laughs> me to. Um, the second hypothesis is that, it may have a negative social effect uh, on your social interaction, right? Because you can't hear each other. So the social surrogate is just to drink more. Yeah. Because I mean, there's just a lack of space between conversations, right? Yeah. So you fill that with more drinking.
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely remember that from uh, from college. Part of that was I couldn't get anybody to talk to me anyway, um, because I, was, I don't I, believe it. No. Well, I was. I'm not saying I. If I had gone to the right place, I'm sure people would have talked to me. But for some reason, I had this crazy idea that I needed to go to this like horrible college bar on the strip and try to meet people, and it uh, was a terrible idea. You so, got to go to the
4: biker bars, man. The
1: biker, yeah, that would have been a great idea. I would have told but, you to
4: do that back then if I'd known
1: that. I should have like gone to a coffee shop or something. But anyway, that's that's at uh, the heart of it. Though I do remember the there being a comfort in walking around with a drink. Because if I suddenly feel awkward for not talking to, with anyone mm-hmm. for being on my own, well, then I this is the drink. This is what I'm doing. I can simply drink this. And I've heard people who uh, who currently or have in the past smoked cigarettes say the same thing about that. That uh, if there's a, you know this sort of social anxiety of what am I doing here? What should I be doing? The cigarette is is an instant uh, task uh, not only uh, and it's something you can do with your hands as well yeah. and your mouth and it's like of course I'm not talking to somebody I'm drinking this drink I'm smoking this cigarette etc
4: isn't it funny that we have to come up with these little stories yeah and and we're not even communicating them verbally to someone we just have to take out a cigarette and and try to say in a way I'm doing something yeah. really
1: yeah you you're you're you know filling out that scene in the uh the the linear uh experience of time in that book that is your life
4: yeah. Indeed. So this idea of losing ourselves in music, the Zen of the prefrontal cortex, uh, that's that's really the story here, uh, because if you look at these periods of intense perceptual engagement, uh, like being enraptured by music, Activity in the prefrontal cortex, which generally focuses on introspection, will shut down. And this was seen in research by Raphael Malach and Ilan Goldberg of the Wiseman Institute of Science. They designed this experiment that had participants looking at images and listening to music while undergoing fMRI and they found that activity in the self-related prefrontal cortex was silenced during intense sensory processing. Ah, so
1: in a sense you're, you're shutting down the the default mode network. Yeah. With some very calming music.
4: Yeah, and this works for both familiar music and unfamiliar music, right? Mm-hmm. Because in the case of unfamiliar music, you your prefrontal cortex really needs to rely m- more on the other parts of the brain for perception, for sensory perception, to try to figure out what it is. So your prefrontal cortex, the I, the me, the um, the seat of judgment kind of gets quiet. And if you are listening to familiar music that's pleasurable to you, well, then you're just getting caught up... In that that sort of Zen-like moment of anticipating what's coming next in a pleasurable way, you are dipping into that stream of memory, and memory, I think, is just uh, at the at the end of the day, it's something that's hypnotizing.
1: Yeah, so we've talked about uh, the the power of of music that we know, music that has not become dull and uh, and ordinary for us, but but is a is a journey that we can anticipate all the little curves in the road. We've talked about how new music is super engaging. So I can't help but think about the power of both remixes and and covers as well as the use of known songs in a uh, well-crafted DJ mix. Because then you get that that interesting blend of of the familiar with with these new changes. Mm -hmm. Like what part of the song are they going to use? How are they going to adjust the tempo? Uh, What new spin are they putting on this particular cover of the song? You know?
4: Yeah, actually, um, there's a tribute album to Nick Drake that I was listening to, and I can't remember the artist who recorded Pink Moon, but it's beautiful. And I never thought that I would ever say, like, oh, the Nick Drake original mm-hmm. it's, can't be outdone, but it may have been. And yeah, those centers of pleasure because they're drawing on memory. Yeah. Um, also, memory that's connected to whatever happened the first time I, you know, listened to that song. They're all engaged and then you get the like, oh, I wonder how this phrasing is going to work out. It's not how I anticipated.
1: Yeah. We were uh, talking, talking about the, the way that music uh, alters our perception of time. It is crazy when you listen to a song that you haven't listened to in a very long time. And there really is this sense of time travel into the past because suddenly you're, you're almost physically there again. Um, I, I, th- I think of uh, a few different songs. I think there were. Tori Amos songs that I listened to a lot in college and then I just kind of like really overdid it on listening to Tori Amos for one and just stopped forever. Mm-hmm. But occasionally I'll hear one of those songs again and it's kind of this uncanny feeling because suddenly I'm, I'm kind of in my old skin again and in this old, and like the ghost of an old mindset and it's, uh, it's, it's almost, it's, it's really kind of haunting.
4: Right, and then if you think about your brain actually like, you know, the chemical changes in your brain that are occurring right then, mm-hmm. if that song is changing that moment for you in your perception of time.
1: Yeah. So, given everything that we've talked about here, the way that songs can alter our perception of time, that they can uh, make us travel into past experiences, uh, is there any music that is dangerous to listen to?
4: Yes. According (laughs) to the Royal Automobile Club Foundation for Motoring, in 2004, they deemed Wagner's Ride of the Valkyrie, also known as Snoopy in My House, Snoopy Mm -hmm. Song, um, (laughs) that being the most dangerous music to listen to while driving.
1: I could see that, yeah, because it's got a very driving feel to it. I hear it, I instantly think of the helicopters uh, swooping in in Apocalypse Now. do
4: do do-do-do-do, do That one, right? Yeah. But this is the thing. They say that it's not so much the distraction of the song, but the substitution of the frenzied tempo of the music that challenges drivers' normal sense of speed and the objective cue of the speedometer and causes them to speed. Huh. Which makes me think you know, maybe there are a couple of songs that I drive too fast to. In fact, I know that I do.
1: Oh, well, well what are they? Because I have a couple as well.
4: Oh, I don't know if I really want to admit it, but um, Iconopops, I love it. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with that. I, I
1: don't think I am. Iconopops?
4: Uh, I, I pop, is the name of the group, I guess, mm-hmm. and the song is I Love It. It's just a really, like, techno-raucous kind of... You can play it really loud and you just feel like you're speeding through... Time and space. In fact, I listen to it a lot when I'm working out.
1: Oh, cool. Um,
4: What do you drive like a Hellion to?
1: Well, uh, I don't listen to these either of these tracks much in the car anymore, but I do specifically remember driving too fast because I was listening to either the theme song from Conan the Barbarian, which has a you know bum 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 very driving kind of song uh, mm-hmm. theme to it, and then also uh, Led Zeppelin's "Immigrant Song," which definitely has a very driving uh you know dun, da, 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 dun, da 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 kind of vibe oh to yeah it, you know? it does and the sense of motion and just makes my would make my my uh, my foot just go down on the gas so. right
4: because again visual and more motor cortex are all getting into this and mm-hmm. you do get this sense of movement and. Um, another one is White Stripes' uh, Seven Nation Army. Oh I've yeah, got to be careful with that one.
1: I, I can imagine that. Yeah, that's that's a great track and definitely has that that driving feel to it.
4: Yeah. yeah. So yes, there can be dangerous music in a sense.
1: Yeah, because again, music is a is a full body experience. So in a sense, it's uh, it's kind of like a drug, and you've got to be careful uh, how you mix a drug. And your experience of the physical world.
4: You know, this just reminded me, too, of this little factoid that during the Korean War, um, they would, uh, the Americans would take out speakers and blast Doris Day music. Hmm. Because apparently that was so jarring because it's so, um, it's so like anti. You know, munitions coming at you kind of music. Like, fly me to the moon. Huh. So odd and so out of place that it would actually calm enemy fire.
1: Huh. Interesting. I never um, even thought about the possibility of weaponized Doris Day tracks.
4: Right. I know. Yes. We've heard the opposite. We've heard of things that would... M- yeah, use like it to really jarring tracks.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
4: But there you go. There's non-dangerous <laughs> music as well. Um, would love to hear from you guys out there what your dangerous song is.
1: Yeah, what's your dangerous song? What's your most calming song? What song bores you to death? Uh, Anything we touched on here, we'd love to hear your uh, personal uh, feedback on it. Where can you find us? Well, as always, you can go to StuffToBlowYourMind.com. That's the mothership. That's where you will find our blog post, every podcast episode we've ever done, video projects that we're up to, as well as links out to our various social media accounts like our Facebook, our Twitter, our Tumblr, our Google+. You can find a link to our SoundCloud page if that's your preferred method of streaming your audio. You can find uh, links to our YouTube page. That's Mind Stuff Show. Uh, if you want to continue to support our video projects, be, f- be sure to follow us there, Um, Every uh, follower, every uh, view uh, helps. And, uh, of course, there is a more old-fashioned way if you want to interact with us.
4: I like to think of it as an intimate way to collect your thoughts and then put them together however you'd like. Haiku, just normal sentences, whatever. You can send them to BlowTheMind at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com.
1: monthly rate on the visible plan for data management practices and additional terms visit visible.com as important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner
0: gene gene Fodor. gene was good
1: but be careful because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas the cia really need your help gene freeze americano
2: huh? oh! run
3: Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life
2: with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine. Hosted by me, Danielle Robay. And me, Simone Boyce.